I am calling this evening's talk Obstacles to Awakening because awakening, liberation, freedom is um, the path we're on. And if it were easy, if there were no obstacles, we'd all be enlightened. Uh, we would have become enlightened a long time ago because we're all dedicated practitioners. But um, obviously, I don't want to say obviously, but in my case, obviously, I am not enlightened yet. And that's because there are obstacles to this. And so I wanted to talk about that. And generally, um, the obstacles are kind of summarized in the five hindrances, which are uh, the which you're a list you're probably all very familiar with: um, craving, aversion, restlessness, and worry, doubt, um, sloth, and torpor, dullness, and um, they're the common the common uh, things that are talked about as getting in the way and. Uh, they are listed in the, um, one place they're listed is in the four foundations of mindfulness. And the fourth foundation is mindfulness of the Dhammas. And um, Bhikkhu Analyo, um, very wise monk, often just talks about the hindrances and the factors of the wake awakening. And it's the hindrances that get in the way of the awakening. And if you are awake, it, it's because the hindrances are gone. Um, and so I wanted to talk a little bit about those hindrances. And oftentimes, at least for me, when I read some of the suttas or I hear some of the teachings, the words that are translated don't necessarily resonate with me. Um, and I have a hard time identifying exactly how to put that in my own life. And what I like is the invitation to expand on these particular definitions. Like the word dukkha is usually translated as suffering, but it means so many other things like um, uh, things not being the way we want them to be, or things being a little bit off kilter. I gave a talk a few weeks ago about dukkha. And so, um, the one word is not necessarily always the right way. And um, I saw a Facebook post the other day by this teacher. I think he lives up in the Bay Area. He teaches at Spirit Rock. And um, his name is Sean Fight. I think it's Fight. It's spelled F-E-I-T, Oaks. And he mentioned all these things that are the hindrances. And I really, I really liked it. And I, and I pulled out a couple of, the, a few of the things he said. And he said, they are the addictive mind, the demons of ADHD, the source of all our neurotic habits. They are symptoms of trauma and deeper of the fundamental ignorance that is the heart of confusion and pain. He said, they are swamps of self-doubt, self-hatred, and self-judgment. Sensual grasping, reactive hatred, restless anxiety, freeze collapse, hopelessness. So that kind of expands that list to encompass a whole bunch more feelings that than we normally, you know, put into these five. And I remember on this retreat I did with Bhikkhu Analyo, um, and he was talking about the hindrances. He was talking about um, 
he mentioned conceit because that's one of his that just pops up. Oh, conceit. Um, and so to the important thing is around this is to recognize what they look like in our lives. Because sloth and torpor, um, that's like, now how do I, I mean, I, I've been doing this for a while, so I know how to identify, or I'll use the phrase sloth and torpor, but that's not something we use in words that we often talk about in our everyday lives in 21st century United States. So to begin to um, expand and say, well, how does sloth and torpor show up in my life? Or how does craving show up in my life? How does aversion show up? Because they can sometimes feel like strong words. What's helpful to understand is that they are fueled by the three poisons, the three defilements, greed, hatred, and ignorance. That's what underlies these things. And, and as I look at things and as I look at the world I try and bring it back to these three things and so often you can do that I mean most of the time you can do that so much greed so much greed so much suffering so much harm is caused by greed so much harm so much suffering is caused by hatred aversion um, and then ignorance you know and, and you can collapse, you, you can expand these out into multiple iterations, but they all come down to these. And so recognizing that these are the foundation of these hindrances, this is what ultimately gets in the way of our awakening. Because awakening is letting go. So if you're greedy, then you're, letting, you're not letting go, you're holding on. And aversion is a heart of ill will. And, and not liking something, which is not, you know, which is holding on to something that, you know, you're not what, the way you're supposed to be or the way I think you're supposed to be, you know, for as an example. And then ignorance is just um, not clear, not seeing things clearly. Last week I talked about wise view. And the first factor of the Eightfold Path is, is moving towards this clarity of seeing things, understanding suffering, understanding dukkha, understanding... Um, the nature of the characteristics of existence. And so to, to see that this is the foundation, but how do they show up? And, and how do we recognize them? Pema Chodron talks about them, and she says, and this is also very true, and I've, I've experienced it in my life. She goes, before we start to struggle with the hindrances, and before the thinking process gets involved, they are just form, sensations or forms of energy. And they're not intrinsically bad or good. They're just energetic responses. And that is when, and that is um, pointed to in the second, in the second um, foundation of mindfulness, the, the feeling tones, when we recognize things are pleasant or unpleasant or neither. It's the, you know, sometimes you get a sense that something's unpleasant before the mind can even identify it, especially something, you know, scary or, or you know, sudden. The body reacts before the mind has a chance to catch up. So that happens. And so, rec but it's so quick. The mind is on it so quickly that we don't recognize this sensation, this energy that's there. Um, and so the energy, pleasant, unpleasant, neither, 
it's not bad, it's not good, it just is, you know? And, and it's always interesting to see that things, and it's not um, the thing itself, it's our reaction to it. We think it's unpleasant. And because it's, it's interesting if you notice sometimes something can be pleasant, and then over time, and it can be in the space of a short amount of time, like 10 minutes, something's pleasant, and then it becomes unpleasant. So has the thing changed? There's a noise, like the neighbors are playing music, and, and you're like, oh, that's nice. And then an hour later, you're like, ah, I'm an enough already. So because they're into this one song, and so they're playing it over and over again, like I have done in my life, <laughs> played the same thing over and over again. Um, so this has that experience, has the thing changed or has my reaction to it changed? The sensation is now going from pleasant to unpleasant. So recognizing that it's not the thing itself, which is so important. And then there's this energy. And then the next thing that happens is what we do with them. You know, how do we respond? How do we react? And, and Pema says that there's kind of three ways we can act out. Um, perhaps with aggression, um, if there's something that we don't like, we can be aggressive, we can flip somebody off on the freeway, we can yell at somebody, we can do many, many things, however we're kind of programmed. Um, if we want something, we can steal it, we can manipulate to get it, we can do any kinds of things, uh, any kinds of, how do we act out to get this feeling addressed? Um, we can suppress it, we can numb it, Many, many ways to do that. Our, our society offers us many ways to numb our experience. Or we can create stories around the sensation. And this, I think, is uh, really helpful to recognize because a lot of these stories are not based in reality. They're based in a reaction to an experience. And the one I always go to is, is um, because it's so visceral for me. And it, it, it's, it really goes back. It's a deep, deep um, experience. You know, it's a shaped by experiences I had growing up. And so it's kind of a, a go-to for me is like if, we're, if there's a chance that something's going to happen that I'm going to be blamed for, then I will manipulate as best I can, or I will spend all, as much time as necessary creating some kind of rationalization. Maybe a blame is involved. Maybe I try and figure out why it's actually their fault and not my fault. And you might yell at me, but really you should yell at them. That's me creating stories around an unpleasant sensation. Or creating stories around a pleasant sensation. How do I keep this going? How do I make it happen again? That was such a wonderful time we had with those friends. Let's get the same people and do the same thing and have the exact same experience, which never happens. Because I know we've all tried to replicate um, stuff. And it's just, why didn't it turn out right? You didn't do it right. You didn't show up. You blah, 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 whatever it is. Um, so we often don't recognize those stories that we create and that gets in the way because we're kind, we're not okay with reality. 
We need it to be different from what it is. And these reactions strengthen the bad habits we have and keep us in this cycle of samsara or deep in ignorance, not seeing what we're doing, not seeing the conditioning that we're caught up in, whether it's through greed or aversion or ignorance or usually a little bit of all three. You know, when we walk around with a lot of dust in our eyes. So our practice begins with identifying them and how they show up in our lives. Jack Kornfield um, talks about identifying the demons on the path. Demons, the word demon is used in a lot of stories around the uh, hindrances. Um, Milarepa, who is a... Um, a lot of stories about Milarepa, who was, a, I think, lived around or was a, written about in a thousand, um, thousand years ago, 1,200 years ago. Um, there's the story of Milarepa and the demons in his cave. And the only way he was able to get rid of these demons, he tried to fight them off. That didn't work. He threw Dharma at them. That didn't work. Yeah, he tried to teach them. That didn't work. And he eventually said, I give up. What do you have to teach me? He was willing to be with reality. And then most of them disappeared except the biggest and the, and the strongest one. And he stuck his head in that one's mouth and it just disappeared. It's this total letting go of not needing things to be different. Not, I'll be okay if the demons go away. It's like, no, hello, where are you? What are you? You're here. Let me be with you. Let me identify you. Um, so our practice to move or eliminate the obstacles is to recognize what they are. Start where you are. That's Pema Chodron, that one Pema Chodron book. I, I read it so long ago, I don't remember what it is, but I remember that she said, the title is Start Where You Are, and the one line that stuck with me from that book was that even beings who are enlightened get snot in their nose when they have a cold. So it's that we are. It's we all have this shared humanity. So enlightened doesn't mean we walk on water. It means we also get snot in our nose when we get a cold. So to 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 level this out. Um, so the I you know grasping, clinging, craving. Um, you know we live in this world of hungry ghosts. There's this insatiable wanting for more and more and more. There's ambition. You know how does it show up for you? Wanting whatever it is you want. You know, something crosses your eye and you immediately create a story of wanting it. Um, so where I, I think what's helpful and for all of these is incredibly helpful to connect with the physical experience. What is the physical experience of craving? For me, it's like this, this unease, this want, this, um, kind of dissatisfaction if I see something shiny so to speak um, like someone invited me to something today that I couldn't go to because I had a prior commitment and immediately my mind went into well maybe and I've done this all my life I've I've always you know grass is greener I chase the greener grass and kind of get rid of the old stuff because that's going to be even better but than this so watching that so I'll I'll cancel an appointment so I can go to that one because I think that one's better. Or I'll, I was like, what? You know, instead of finding a wise and skillful way, 
through things or just recognizing I can't do two things at once or I've already made a commitment. Why is, you know, I'm going to break the commitment because that's shinier? Sometimes we have to break commitments. Obviously, things happen, but to recognize what's driving this. Is there this greed underneath this? Is there ambition? What's going on? So that, you know, how does that craving show up for you, this wanting for pleasant all the time? It can be so subtle. It can be so simple and so subtle. It doesn't have to be grandiose and ginormous. It doesn't have to be billionaires trying to get more billions. You know, I must be the number one in all things or I am unhappy. It doesn't have to be that. The aversion, on the other hand, because then these are like two sides of, of one coin, the aversion shows up as anger, as disgust, dismissal, fear, judgment, boredom, anything that pushes others away. Anything that says this, is, this, this shouldn't be this way. You know, I talk often about living with an undefended heart. And I had someone ask me, is it ever okay to have a defended heart? And I thought about it for a while, and my response is, I don't, not okay, I don't want to say okay, but my intention is to live with a fully undefended heart. That's, I'm not there, but I'm head, I would like to keep going in that direction, because defense is aversion. Now, there's boundaries that we set, when people are causing harm or it's not wise to be around them, but we don't carry that aversion. I still have an open heart towards them, but the practical aspect of the world I live in is like, no, you have to be over there and you have to take it, be held accountable for your actions. Very different things. We don't, we don't armor our hearts towards people. And so watching how we show up with things and especially ourselves. I, I had a quote last week when I was talking about, I don't even remember what I was talking about, um, but the quote was, we have to love those, oh, the Bodhisattva, oh, I was talking about Wise View, and there was somebody who was writing about the Bodhisattva who said the Bodhisattva loves even what's unlovable in themselves. And so this is, you know, aversion. It's so easy to be so critical towards ourselves with the idea that it's we're going to make ourselves better. Well, we can have constructive criticism without the aversion, without the critical, harsh voice that serves no purpose. Serves no purpose. And fear is in this as well. Um, fear is... Uh, is is so ubiquitous and it's um it's manipulated manipulated by the world we live in people get really i saw i've been seeing some it's almost um election season so there's a lot of commercials talking about if you vote for this other person the world as we know it will end tomorrow and your children will die a fiery death. I mean, that's a little bit extreme, but it wasn't far from that, the stuff I've been hearing. So fear is a wonderful way to manipulate people. So watch how fear shows up for you too, because fear can be driven by aversion. Fear 
Fear can be driven by craving. Fear can be driven by aversion. Fear that we're going to lose something we have, not get something we want. Um, really, really paying attention to that. The next, the next hindrance, restlessness and worry. You know, I always would forget about worry and re that that was part of the restlessness. And once I remembered that, oh, worry, yes, worry. Um, what if, if only. Um, again, it's, it's got that flavor of fear of what about the future? What about the past? What's going to happen now? We can get so caught up in it, you know. It's that underlying sense of unease about everything. There's the restlessness. That's, that's being driven by this, thinking we have to take care of stuff now. It's, gotta, it's gonna be okay. And I liken this to overwhelm. And I was taught many years ago that overwhelm is in our minds because overwhelm is often about the future. And I'm not in the future. The future is, is all fabricated. I, you know, I might, know a plan for tomorrow or next week or whatever I have plans but I don't know how it's going to unfold and I can spend a whole bunch of time worrying about it so to recognize and again that can be driven by aversion what if they show up what if those people I hate show up or or craving oh I hope I hope I hope I hope this happens how do I make sure it happens how do I manipulate the world to make sure it turns out the way I want it to the other side of that, sloth and torpor, this dullness, this, this lack of energy, this way of checking out and avoiding things. And we are offered, again, a whole plethora of things, panoply of things to um, dull ourselves with. Everything. It, we can dull ourselves with properly anything. Um, we can, we can dull ourselves with spiritual practice, you know? It's like use it as an escape. It's not, yeah, it's been done. Uh, spiritual bypassing, you know? I'm going to use this to not have to feel. So watching that. And then doubt is the last. And how does doubt show up? There's the skeptical doubt, which is really important. Like the Buddha said, don't believe it just because I said it. Investigate it. Uh, not believing everything you hear. I love the old, the, I still have a button up there on that bunch of buttons that says question authority. Don't believe it just because they say it. Um, but self-doubt, you know, um, can be really debilitating and can knock us off our path. Um, and oftentimes it's a response to fear. It's like, oh, am I doing the right thing? Uh, what if it doesn't turn out? And it reminded me, yeah, the sw I love how uh, Oaks put it, swamps of self-doubt, self-hatred, self-judgment. That's the doubt, you know? And so there are antidotes given for these. So when we're um, in this place of grasping or craving for something, especially around sensual pleasure it's the invitation is to think of impermanence recognizing that nothing lasts when we want oh if i get that i'll live happily ever after nah it'll just last as long as it lasts and then it'll be on to the next thing because everything wears off wears away our um and our what is it 
Tara Brock talks about being entranced. The trance will end at some point. And then we'll have to look for something else. So to um, think of impermanence, in the first foundation of mindfulness, there's the invitation around when you're caught up in sensual lust, you're invited to think of the um, parts of the body you know, the gross parts of the body, and to recognize that we all die, we all decay. You know, no one gets out of here alive. And so to go meditate in a, in a, in a cemetery among the dead. So you recognize, oh, me too, those five remembrances. Yeah, I'm also going to get sick, go old, grow old, and die. Um, everything I have will be gone. So that's a really good antidote for that craving, wanting and then um, the aversion, the anger, the hatred, metta, loving kindness. Taking the hatred out and putting metta in its place, friendliness, goodwill, compassion. This is in so many suttas. It's in the Eightfold Path. It's in the Paramis. It's really foundational to this practice. Restlessness and worry, you know, I like to, it says, traditionally it says recognize the contentment, but I, I would use the word gratitude. You know, it's really important to have, be grateful for what we have. I, there have been points in my life where I would not even be grateful for breathing or being able to walk because I was like, so caught up in what was wrong that how could I even be grateful for, you know, being alive? I would just be dismissive of that. And so to be grateful, it has a beneficial impact on our brain to be grateful, cultivating gratitude, which is why I always invite that moment of gratitude at the end of practice. It really, really, really is helpful to shift our perception and our perspective um, from lack to, oh, there is something here. And with the sloth and torpor, arouse energy. You know, stand up. If you're meditating, stand up. Open your eyes. Walk around. Do something. Do the dishes. Take a walk. And then in, with doubt, the invitation is to investigate. What's really true? You know, what's, what's really true? What is this? That's the, I love the Zen mind, beginner's mind. You know, what is this? My mind says it is this, but what is it really? And, and with all of these things, it's important to um, connect with the body. I was ta talking about that earlier um, when something shows up for me as this kind of dis discomfort in the belly. And when I'm nervous or anxious or confused, it feels like my belly's tied up in a knot. My guts are tied up in knots. And so to recognize that... Um, where does where do these experiences show up? Dropping out of the story, as as Pema said, you know, before their stories, before they show up as words, even they're these sensations and energies. So take the time to drop below the concoctions of the mind into the sensations that may actually present a different idea. Oh. I think it's this, but it's actually fear. I think, you know, he's a jerk, but it's actually my fear of being left out, my fear of being unloved, whatever it is, however it shows up for you. So really 
Where do they hide in the body? Important to connect to that. What stories are they telling? Identify for you how the hindrances show up. They probably only have a few. You know, it's like our top 10 hits that show up again and again and again. They wear different clothing, but when you just look underneath, they're the same ones in, you know, the wolf in sheep's clothing, as they say. And be with them. Be with them. Let them be present because they are here. What do they always say? Invite them in for tea. Invite your demons in for tea. Um, be kind to them. Be kind to ourselves. It's not our fault. They just, they're reactive. It's habitual. It's not our fault they show up. It's how we work with them when they're there. Being less reactive, having a clarity because we recognize them. If they're overwhelming, displace them with something, with metta, with loving kindness, with a concentration practice, with, with um, you know, a breathing, breathing in, breathing out. That's, you know, there are ways to work with hindrances as well. Um, and, and if we can just let them be, often they will just pass. It's when we move in and begin to... Um, uh, embellish them and make a room in our house for them and carry them around with us that they don't leave. They talk about surfing the urge. Uh, when you have this urge to do something, if you start romanticizing it um, or romancing it, it lasts longer. But if you can just see it for what it is, oh, here's some anger. Okay, hi, how are you? Have a seat. And then go about your business without letting it take over. You may notice that it's gone. It may take a moment. And then notice when they're not present. Really important. And this points to the first three factors of, of the factors of awakening. Mindfulness, paying attention. Investigation. What is this? An effort, effort to let go, effort to be present. Let go of the stories and be present with the feelings. And when you can do that, and when the hindrances start to subside, there's an ease. There's a tranquility. There's a collectedness of mind and ultimately an equanimity that arises because we're not so caught up in the comings and goings of the world and everything in it. So... This is, these are the obstacles to awakening. And when we can work with them, recognize them, um, begin to release them, there's an awakening that arises naturally, an awareness, uh, a, a tranquility, an equanimity, and ultimately a freedom and a liberation. So... Thank you, thank you, thank you, my friends, for your, your kind, kind attention. And um, I hope this has been helpful. Thank you for visiting Undefended Dharma. 
These teachings are freely offered. However, if you would like to make a donation to help support the technology that makes these podcasts possible, please visit marystancavage.org backslash support. Thank you.